Welcome to episode 175 of the Fredcast Cycling Podcast for March 18th, 2011. My name is David, and I'm a Fred. This week's episode of the Fredcast is cycling a cause of heart attacks, Raceface gets shuttered by their bank, three product recalls, bike sharing is coming to Toronto, and a cyclist fends off a leopard with his mountain bike. Following that, race news, rider news, and the flap over race radios, plus pot safe cycling music. So sit back, relax, and if you're riding your bike, hammer just a little bit harder because here comes the Fredcast. Hey, fellow Freds, welcome back to another episode of the Fredcast, and it's been a while. My apologies if you knew how much traveling I've been doing for business. Unfortunately, business and family life do trump the podcast, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm not pod fading, and I am definitely back with the Fredcast. And speaking of being with the Fredcast, it's time to thank our sponsor, Jensen USA. You know, when I visited Jensen USA about a month or so ago, they were talking to me about the wider variety of road products that they're carrying, including right now some amazing prices on Reynolds wheels. You can save 36%, 46%, 50%, or 53% and more off of Reynolds wheels. Go to www dot thefredcast.com and click that Jensen USA link on the right hand side of the page or go to jensenusa.com slash thefredcast and check out the amazing deals on a brand new Reynolds wheel set for your springtime and summertime riding. Time to get a new set of wheels for this year's 2011 riding season and what better place than from our friends at Jensen USA who offer you amazing pricing great selection, and unparalleled customer service. JensenUSA.com slash the Fredcast. We thank Jensen for their support of the Fredcast, and we thank you for your support of Jensen USA. Well, there's a lot of news to get to, so let's get right into it. Starting with something that happened a couple of weeks ago, the last Friday of every month, as you know, in many cities across the world, is when something happens called critical mass. And if you've ever listened to the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast, you've heard many of us say that we sort of have a love-hate relationship with critical mass. And in this situation, there is no excuse for what happened. You see, because an impatient driver who was upset because the side mirror on his car was brushed by a number of critical mass cyclists simply hit the accelerator and mowed cyclists down indiscriminately, all of it, while a videotape was running. And I do have a link in the show notes for the videotape. And of course, I've got to warn you, If you're sensitive, just like they always say on TV, this is disturbing video. Do not watch it if you are not okay with disturbing images. In a strange twist, it turns out that the driver, much like the one in Colorado, is a bank official, this time from Porto Alegre, Brazil. His name is Ricardo Neis. He was driving with his teenage son when, as I said, he found himself having to share the streets with critical mass, and he was upset at the fact that his side mirror was brushed, he hit the gas pedal and ran over a number of cyclists. And now he is facing charges 
of attempted murder. According to the banker's lawyer, the lawyer's name is Luis Fernando Coimbra Albino. According to this lawyer, the driver is claiming self-defense because he says riders were hitting his car and breaking his windows and they therefore sped through the crowd because he was, quote, fearing for the life of his son. Imagine how his son must have felt when he watched his dad mowing down defenseless cyclists. Turns out, however, according to an article on treehugger.com, that his story, well, it doesn't quite match up with eyewitness accounts. According to eyewitnesses, the banker was becoming increasingly aggressive with the riders, yelling at them, taunting them, nudging them with his car. Oh, and by the way, did I mention the fact that this individual also has a record, including making threats and assault and several traffic violations, including driving on the wrong side of the road and, yes, driving on the sidewalk. We'll follow the story in this case, and hopefully it will have a more positive outcome than the one in Vail, Colorado. I think it, uh, charging the banker in this case with attempted murder is entirely appropriate, and I hope he gets the book thrown at him, or perhaps a car. Well, you can file this next story under rumors, but I have this one on pretty good authority. You may recall that in December, there were lots and lots of rumors out there that electronic shifting was going to make its way one step down in the Shimano lineup. You may recall that DI2 came out on Dura-Ace just about two years ago. I now have it on extremely good authority that you can expect to see lots of information on electronic Altegra coming out sometime around the end of May or beginning of June. What I've learned is that while the Dura-Ace set uses four thick cables, the Altegra set will be using two thinner cables. Pricing, about half of Dura-Ace electronic, which means that you can expect to pay about the same or slightly less than standard Dura-Ace without electronics for the new electronic Altegra. According to my sources, you can expect to see electronic Altegra spec OEM on bikes in early 2012 and that you can expect to see it available for aftermarket purchase. In other words, you can upgrade your existing bike in spring of 2012. I'm also told that you can expect a pretty heavy promotional blist this summer, including advertisements during this year's Tour de France. It's about all the information I've got for you. As I said, I've got it on very good authority. But you can find out whether or not this is true come the end of May, beginning of June. For me, sounds very exciting. I'm looking forward to the opportunity of putting electronic shifting on my bike. And quite frankly, DI2 Dura-Ace was just too expensive. But looking at something that's just about half that price, that may be just the ticket. Now, several weeks ago, you may have heard about a study that came out. As a matter of fact, I'm willing to bet that your friends and family brought it to your attention as my friends and family brought it to mine. It was a study that was quoted in the Daily Mail in the UK that was said, essentially, cycling causes heart attacks. Well, when you read the study, what it was talking about was that one of the largest triggers of heart attacks can be sitting in traffic. And so you can imagine that it's very bad for drivers, pedestrians, 
and cyclists. But they, the study went on to say that because cyclists are outside and because we're exposed to pollution and because we're exercising, which can be a trigger for a heart attack, therefore it led to the conclusion that cycling causes heart attacks. However, even the authors of the study were quick to point out that the Daily Mail may have worded the title, well, let's say in a tabloid kind of a way. Those of you in the UK will understand that the Daily Mail is a tabloid and will understand that they did this just for headlines. Matter of fact, one of the authors of the study, Professor Tim Narot, said, Uh, about whether or not cycling could cause heart attacks, quote, you cannot conclude that from our analysis. The title was wrongly worded. I don't agree that cycling is not good for you. Physical activity is a very good way to prevent chronic diseases, unquote. And here's the point. The article was talking about things that trigger heart attacks, not necessarily things that cause heart attacks. Let me explain. Imagine that you are a 65-year-old male. Imagine that you are in not very good physical condition. Now imagine that you go out on vacation. Let's say, for instance, to, let's say, the Grand Canyon in Arizona. And your friends and family say, come on, Dad, or come on, Grandpa, let's go for a hike. Let's go hike down in the canyon. No problem going down. But on the way up, you're exerting yourself. Your physical condition isn't very good and you're at altitude and boom, a heart attack may occur because it was triggered by the exercise that doesn't necessarily convert to a lot of you. From our uh, research, we know that you are probably in somewhere between your 20s and your 60s. Most of you are men, but also most of you ride your bikes For exercise, some of you ride it for commuting, for for transportation, but many of you ride it for exercise. Therefore, you're in good physical condition. In your case, will exercise necessarily trigger a heart attack? Most likely not. Now, I'm not a doctor, so of course, that depends on your own medical history, your family's medical history, how long you've been cycling, all of those kinds of things. But in this case, does cycling cause heart attacks, it seems from reading the study, and it seems from reading the reactions of the authors, you can tell your friends and family to relax. By the way, you might also want to tell your friends and family to get out and exercise and perhaps get on a bike themselves after having checked with a doctor first to make sure that exercise is appropriate in their case. If you were around during the mountain bike boom in the early 90s, you will recall when Rocky Mountain Bicycles spun off an aftermarket brand of CNC products called Raceface. It seemed like Raceface was on the vanguard of new mountain bike component technology, and everybody loved their CNC their bright anodized colors, their lightweight products, and their design and technology. Well, unfortunately, Raceface is now out of business. The bank took over operations last Saturday and shut the company down. According to Bicycle Retailer and Industry News, 
Grant Thornton Limited, the bank's receiver, wrote a letter to Race Face employees on March 14th, letting them know that they were all out of a job and that they were ceasing operations both in the in North America and in Taiwan, saying, quote, as the receiver will be shutting down the operations of race face components immediately, your continued employment is no longer required, and therefore the receiver, on behalf of race face components, hereby terminates your employment effective immediately. According to John Pentecost, Raceface's component protection marketing and product manager, quote, it came as a big surprise to all of us. There were about 50 people laid off here in New Westminster today, and we were told that another 20 people in Taiwan were also terminated. Craig Pollock, the former president and CEO, issued a press release saying, quote, the company will undoubtedly be sold to a new buyer and the brand as we know it today will forever be changed. But we're proud of the race face legacy and the impact it made on the mountain biking industry and community. It's a sad outcome for the brand, but more importantly, for the people involved with the company. I personally thank all of our staff, riders, suppliers, customers and consumers for their support over the years. Our talented staff truly were the backbone of this brand. I've been humbled by their loyalty and determination throughout this process and wish them well moving forward. And so the passing of an era with the end or perhaps a new beginning for Raceface. Bicycle riders and owners in the state of New York are breathing a sigh of relief now that Bills A5429 and A5430 were pulled off the legislative docket due to public outrage from bike riders, enthusiasts, and others who called it unnecessary and intrusive government regulation. What am I talking about? Well, it's simple. Two proposed bills by Assemblyman Michael Dendecker of Queens, New York, would have required all bikes to be inspected and registered, forcing a one-time cost of $25 for a bicycle license plate with a $5 per year renewal fee. And those who ride bicycles commercially, I'm guessing messengers, pedicabs, etc., would pay $50 and would also have to buy insurance. State Senator Catherine Young from the 57th Senate District was quoted as saying, quote, these types of ideas are emblematic of Albany at its worst. Albany, by the way, is the capital of the state of New York. Continuing, if downstate legislators can tax something, they will try to do it. There is no more room to impose any additional costs on the already overburdened taxpayers of this state. I'm glad the people have spoken out about this ridiculous measure. We need tax relief, not more crazy taxes. Continuing, she said, quote, registering bicycles is not the key to our state's fiscal problems. It's only another slap in the face to our taxpayers. These kinds of crazy ideas need to be stopped in their tracks. We need to be doing positive things in Albany right now that ease the cost of living and that help our struggling families out. Assemblyman Dendecker and his downstate counterparts in the assembly need to get with the program and focus on the right priorities, unquote. And in this case, who can disagree? Certainly not a New York cyclist. Now it's time for that part of the show that, well, comes up all too frequently for my taste, 
but which I do feel the need to report on every time it comes up. I have three product recalls for you, starting with Novara Fusion bicycles that were sold by REI. Now, there's about 160 of these that are being recalled, and it's because REI has received a report of a steerer tube on the front pork, on the front fork. See what happens when I'm away from the podcast for a while. A steer tube on the front fork, which detached. The problem is that the steer tube could separate from the fork, and you can imagine the problems that would ensue as a result. Now, the recall involves Novara Fusion bicycles with serial numbers U as in uniform, 95, Y as in Yankee, 07321. U as in uniform, 96Y28393, or in the sequential range of the last four digits, U96Y28876 through 29128. The serial numbers are located on the bottom of the bottom bracket. And the espresso colored bikes were sold in two styles, a step through and the fusion. The step through was sold in extra small and small, and the fusion was available in medium, large, and extra large. All of them sold through REI stores nationwide from November 2009 through November 2010 for between $600 and $900. And they were also available on the REI.com website. For more information, Go to the show notes for this show, show number 175, where I've got links to the CPSC recall pages for each of these three recalls and also to each individual company's website. Uh, In some cases, they're PDFs that will give you more information on these recalls. In all three cases, stop using the product immediately and contact the manufacturer or the dealer from whom you purchased the product for a replacement or a repair. The next recall is from Felt Bicycles. They're recalling about 1,550 of their 2011 Felt Adult Bicycles, again because of a front fork problem where the front fork could break, therefore causing you to lose control and fall. The recall includes all 2011 Felt F3, F4, F5, and F75 bikes with carbon fiber frames and carbon fiber forks. The F3s are uh, available in satin carbon with satin white and red decals. The F4s are satin carbon with satin white and gray decals. The F5s are satin carbon and satin red or matte with black and a diamond-shaped design. And the F-75s are gloss navy. They were sold through specialty stores nationwide from July 2010 through November 2010 for between $1,400 and $5,000 per bicycle. Again, links in the show notes for more information. And finally, Rocky Mountain Bicycles is recalling about 325 of its bikes again because of a front fork steering tube that might break. The bicycles being recalled are a 2008 Solo CX in gunmetal gray, a 2009 Solo CX in white, a 2010 Solo CX in white, a 2008 Solo CXD in gunmetal gray, a 2009 Solo CXD in titanium silver, a 2009 Solo CXR in black, and a 2010 Metropolis SEA 
in gray. These were sold at bike stores and other specialty stores nationwide and on the web at backcountry.com from June 2007 through November 2010 for between $1,300 and $1,700. Once again, links are in the show notes for more information. If you have one of these bikes or you're not sure if your bike is covered by any of the above recalls, please check with the manufacturer or your local independent bike retailer or any outlet from whom you purchased one of these bicycles for more information before proceeding down the road and getting yourself in a problem. You may remember on a recent episode of the Fredcast, we talked about the inflammatory comments from one of the presenters on the BBC's Top Gear program about cars and the derogatory statements made by one of their presenters about cyclists. Uh, Well, the BBC has posted a response from the executive producer of Top Gear, Andy Willman, who said, quote, Thank you for your feedback about Top Gear's broadcast on February 6, 2011. Please accept my apologies for the delay in replying. Jeremy, the presenter in this case, was singling out what he sees as aggressive cyclists like the one who scraped his car. I don't think anyone can can deny that as with motorists. There are cyclists out there whose road behavior is hardly ideal. Jeremy made it clear that in his view, cyclists are free to use the roads as long as they behave themselves. Whilst he clearly prefers them to defer to motorists, I think his comments stop a long way short of encouraging aggression. Of course, Jeremy's views were balanced out by those of Richard Hammond, who stood up for cyclists. Well, be that as it may, I still say that the comments were out of line, out of control, and certainly out of hand. And we run into these sort of comments every day. For some reason, cyclists are an easy target. Look, I drive a car. Many of you listening drive a car. And many of us have seen those cyclists who are not, as I always say on the show, behaving like good cycling citizens. And yes, sometimes they do get us upset. Those people who are not cyclists, they get upset because they look at the cyclists as inconsiderate, as entitled, uh, as morally superior. Those of us who are cyclists look at those guys and gals doing those kinds of non-cycling, good citizen kinds of acts, and we say, you are the ones who cause those of us who are good cycling citizens to have epithets yelled out of car windows, to have things thrown at us or pellet guns shot at us or paint guns shot at us or car doors opened on us. Matter of fact, I ran into this recently when I was on a business trip in Southern California and I was listening to KFI, AM 640 in Los Angeles, and their afternoon drive time hosts, John and Ken, who were railing against City Hall in Los Angeles passing the LA Bike Master Plan, which is calling for over 1,600 miles of interconnected bikeways to be built in the city of Los Angeles. They thought this was an incredible waste of taxpayer money for a very small minority. Uh, They were railing against cyclists and the fact that they shouldn't even be on LA's traffic-clogged roads. I called in. I challenged them for a good, I'm going to say six or eight minutes with John Cobalt screaming at me about my claim of moral superiority and my telling him the only one in the argument who was claiming moral superiority was him. 
He told me cyclists are obnoxious and irritating and then said, and I quote, because I have a recording of it, which I can't play here because I think Clear Channel would sue my you-know-what off. He said, quote, I don't care about your right, David. You're riding your little cycle around. I've got a really big car, so don't get me mad because I'm a lot bigger than you are, unquote. To which his partner, Ken Shampoo, cautioned him, again, a quote, you're threatening, unquote. John later told me that we cyclists were, quote, agitating for our own lane, unquote, to which I replied that this isn't about agitation, it's about preservation, preservation of our lives and preservation of our rights. He didn't seem to care about our rights, even when I pointed out to him that the California Vehicle Code gives us the right to take a lane. He then told me that we, we hold him up, we're not going fast enough, and I pointed out that a bike has the same rights and responsibilities as a car, meaning if we're holding up a certain number of cars, we've got to move over and let those cars pass just like a car would have to do. Didn't seem to like that very much, but I'm glad I made my point. And some of those points were agreed with by their on-air news presenter, Terry Ray Elmer, who, coincidentally, is a cyclist herself. Again, I wish I could play the clip for you. Hopefully, if you are in Los Angeles, you heard it. I'll shoot an email over to Clear Channel and see whether or not they will give me permission to play the clip. The point still is the same. We're an easy target by the media, and I would urge all of you, when you hear cyclists portrayed in a negative or uninformed light, to stand up, let your voice be heard be it on the telephone, in an email, in a letter, or in any respectful way possible. The only way we're going to change perception is if we let our voice be heard, tell the reality of the situation, and if we continue to behave as good cycling citizens. Well, along these same lines, I got an email from Bill in Alabama recently who said, for once, someone gets a sentence worthy of the murder of a cyclist. The most surprising thing is that it happened in Alabama, which has a less than stellar reputation for cyclist-friendly citizenry. Going on, he says, having recently moved back to the States after five years in Europe, I think one huge aspect that's missing from American law is the concept of a vulnerable road user. By the way, this is something we talked about on the spokesman ad infinitum. This is the concept of strict liability. Continuing, he goes on, in Europe, there are laws and concepts in people's minds that certain users of the roads are inherently vulnerable to increased injury from large moving vehicles. Cyclists, pedestrians, children, and the elderly are in this class of vulnerable road user, and the laws generally provide that strong road users, i.e. motorists, have an obligation to be very careful towards vulnerable road users. Putting in danger vulnerable road users became a serious offense to be strictly sanctioned in some countries. He says it may help here, along with more reasonable passing rules and driver education. Now what he's talking about is an article from Bay Minette, Alabama, where authorities said that a Mobile, Alabama man was sentenced to five years in prison after a hit-and-run accident that claimed the life of a cyclist in 2004. Circuit Judge J. Langford Floyd handed down a sentence against a 35-year-old Terry D. Rogers. Several weeks ago, the district attorney's office said that Rogers was also given a simultaneous five-year term for leaving the scene 
of an accident, starting to sound like a familiar trend among drivers. Rogers' truck, pickup truck, I'm guessing, struck a 23-year-old, Vendula Pacorna, a Czech student who was riding her bike from work in Gulf Shores, Alabama. Prosecutors said that the accident was so intense that the impact flung Miss Pacorna 135 feet. Now, to me, five years is not, and I said this in my response to Bill, five years is not appropriate in this case, but it is certainly better than some of the paltry fines, probation, suspended sentences, and worse that we've seen in other cases. Perhaps this is the start of a trend. One can only hope so. More importantly, I agree with Bill. I would rather see stronger laws protecting cyclists And I would also rather simply see motorists simply being more careful when they encounter a cyclist on the road. Speaking of changing laws and changing attitudes, there is a petition that you can choose to sign if you like, which is in support of Maryland's House Bill 363, which would create a vehicular manslaughter law that would strengthen laws in protect of cyclists. The petition coming as a result of the death of Natasha Pettigrew at age 30. Natasha was the Maryland Green Party's candidate for the United States Senate, member of Change.org, a cyclist and a triathlete. On September 19, 2010, during her Senate campaign, Natasha was training for a triathlon, went for a morning bike ride. She was struck by an SUV in, yes, another hit-and-run accident, and she died a day later. People in Maryland are using this as a rallying cry to try to get the state of Maryland to amend their vehicular manslaughter law. You see, because as it stands now, a criminally reckless driver get this, faces no more than a traffic violation for killing another human being in the state of Maryland, even if the driver is driving faster than the speed limit, getting too close to a cyclist, as long as he or she is not impaired, i.e. not drunk, driving under the influence of drugs, then they will likely not face criminal charges. To me, that in itself is criminal, I've signed the petition. I hope that you will, too, in support of House Bill 363 in the state of Maryland. On a lighter note, in about six weeks, those of you living in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, are going to have another way to get from your subway train or from your bus to get to your office. And that's because now in downtown Toronto, you're about to have the same option as other cities in the world, including nearby Montreal, because Bixie is coming to Toronto. And that means you will finally have a citywide bike sharing program. Now, this has been in the works for about a year. And once it gets started, On May the 3rd, you'll see about a 1,000 bicycles parked at about 80 stations in downtown Toronto. The program is a joint operation between the City of Toronto and the Montreal-based public bike system company. That's what's known as Bixie, which has already set up similar systems in nine cities, including Montreal, Ottawa, 
London, Melbourne, and Washington, D.C. By the way, I saw those recently when I was in D.C. with my daughter. And uh, unfortunately, we didn't have a chance to try the system, but we saw lots of people who were. The bikes will be parked at solar-powered electric docking stations, and you can either pay on the spot or sign up for a membership that offers discounted rates, and the system will operate 24 hours a day, seven days a week. During its first phase, Bixie Bikes will be stationed in Toronto's downtown core, an area bounded by Bloor Street, Jarvis Street, and Spadina Avenue. For more information, go to the show notes for this week's episode of the Fredcast, episode number 175, and click on the Bixie Bike Sharing link. Congratulations, Toronto! And finally, closing out our general news section tonight, you know, when we get to the next section and we talk about Leopard, we're talking about guys like Andy Schleck and Jens Voigt and Fabian Consolara. When we talk about Leopards in the general news section, that can't be good. And that's exactly the case of South African cyclist Pieta Nkumbe, who was attacked by a Leopard on his way to work. Nkumbe, 39 years old, was able to fight the animal off as it tore into the back of of his head with its claws. He said, quote, I slowed down to see what was behind me. I was just able to use my bike to stop him from getting to me. Mr. Nkumbe said he managed to trap the animal's two front legs in the triangle of his bike's frame so that it could not move freely or reach him with its teeth. He eventually pulled a loose steel bar he had attached to his bike. By the way, I'm curious about that one. Anyway, he eventually pulled a loose steel bar that he had attached to his bike and smashed the leopard around the head as it clawed at his face and head. The frightened animal then ran off into the bush. Mr. Nkumbe tried to administer first aid on himself before calling his boss for help. Police launched a full-scale search for the leopard following the attack, which happened near the town of Brits in South Africa's northwest province. Mr. Nkumbe has been released from the hospital, but unfortunately will need injections every three days for a month to prevent infection. Congratulations to Mr. Nkumbe. Just one more use for a bicycle. Remember, kids, if you're ever attacked by a leopard, make sure there's a bicycle handy. Oh, and a steel bar. Well, before we get into the professional cycling news this week, I want to talk to you about another one of our advertisers, Epic Planet, at epicplanet.tv slash fredcast. I've told you about Epic Planet before. They make the Epic Rides series of DVDs, and they've got a brand new release ready for you right now. It's Epic Wine Country, and they've got a deal just for Fredcast listeners. Epic Wine Country takes you on a virtual training ride in the beautiful Napa Valley Wine Country with cyclists from Sojourn Bicycle Tours. Ride the famed Silverado Trail past vineyards before you take a challenging 1,500-foot climb of Mount Veter and then finish with a speedy 20-minute downhill back to the Napa Valley starting point. Now, normally, the DVD is $29.95, The digital download is $24.95, and the combo pack of the DVD and the digital download is $39.95. But through April 2011, until the end of April, you can get Epic Wine Country from EpicPlanet.tv for 20% off by using the coupon code WINE 
at checkout, W-I-N-E. Now, you cannot combine this with other offers, but it is a great deal. Go to epicplanet.tv slash fredcast and buy Epic Wine Country today. Make sure you use coupon code WINE at checkout. We thank Epic Planet for their support of the Fredcast, and we thank you for your support of Epic Planet. Well, it's been a while since we got together here on the Fredcast, so while I normally would give you some detailed race results, I'm going to give them to you today in brief. The Tour of Qatar was won by Mark Renshaw from HTC High Road in 15 hours, 31 minutes, and 4 seconds. Second place going to Heinrich Hausler. Third, Daniela Benatti from Team Leopard Track. Fourth, Juan Antonio Fletcher from Team Sky. And fifth, to Roger Hammond from Garmin Cervelo. Tony Martin took Perry Nice victory for HTC High Road, followed by Andreas Cloden from Team Radio Shack, Brad Wiggins from Team Sky, Rain Ta'aramae from Team Kofidis, and Sammy Sanchez from Euskaltel Euskadi. And most recently, Cadell Evans taking top honors at Tirreno Adriatico, beating Robert Gessink by 11 seconds. Third place going to Michelle Scarpone. Fourth to Ivan Basso from Team Likigas Cannondale. And fifth going to Vincenzo Nibali from Team Likigas Cannondale. Now, as a result of his Perry Nice victory, Tony Martin moves to first place in the UCI World Tour rankings as of March 14th. Second place, Cameron Meyer from Team Garmin Cervello from Australia. Third place, Matthew Goss from Team HTC High Road. Fourth place, Andreas Cloden from Team Radio Shack. And in fifth place, it's Ben Swift from Team Sky. Coming up next on the world calendar, Milan San Remo tomorrow, March 19th. The Volta Ciclista a Catalunya, or the cycling tour of the Catalan region of Spain, March 21st through the 27th. And then Ghent Wevelgem, March 27th, as we start to head into Classics season. And speaking of classics, a race that is quickly becoming a classic in professional cycling, the Amgen Tour of California has announced the team lineups for the upcoming May event in the West Coast of the United States. Among the UCI Pro Tour teams, BMC, Sky, Rabobank, Leopard Trek, Garmin Cervelo, Saxo Bank, HTC High Road, Radio Shack, and Leaky Goss Cannondale. For the UCI professional continental teams, Team NetApp from Germany, Team Type 1 from the United States, Team SpiderTech from Canada, and United Healthcare Pro Cycling from the United States. And for the UCI continental teams, Jelly Belly, Bissell, Kelly Benefit Strategies, Jameis Sutter Home, Kenda 5-Hour Energy, and the Movistar team. Now, not to be outdone, the Larry H. Miller Tour of Utah had their own announcement this week, announcing that the Ultimate Challenge will be returning this year on Saturday, August the 6th. If you're not familiar with the Ultimate Challenge, it allows amateur riders like yourself to ride the actual course of the Queen stage of the Tour of Utah. Now, the Tour of Utah is dubbed the America's toughest stage race and part of that is because of this particular route. You'll have the opportunity to ride the 96-mile route 
from Park City to Snowbird, covering more than 10,000 feet of climbing with a summit finish at the Snowbird Ski and Summer Resort. Now, this is the second year for the event, and it will kick off the festivities for the professional race being held the following week, August 9th through the 14th. Organizers are going to have five hydration and rest stops along the route. Bike mechanics will also be provided along the route to provide assistance as needed. There will be several registration options available starting at $150, which includes a souvenir t-shirt, ride support, rest stops, and a post-ride meal at Snowboard. All route details and registration information will be available in Utah at tourofutah.com slash challenge. And I have put a link in the show notes so you can watch and register for the ultimate challenge. And yes, this year, because this is taking place in advance of the Tour of Utah, I am planning on riding. So come out to Utah, join me. If you ride with me, great. If you don't, do me a favor. Please save me some lunch because I guarantee you I will be the last cyclist to cross the finish line, if I cross the finish line at all. But probably the biggest news in professional cycling these days is the controversy over race radios. We talked about this last year and the possibility of the fact that race radios would be banned from professional cycling. That has occurred, and as a result, a huge controversy has erupted. Now, if you aren't familiar with what we're talking about, in professional cycling events, racers wear an earpiece in their ear so that they can hear their uh, director sportif and their team managers providing them with information on road conditions, on breakaways, and other information pertinent to the race. And many of them also have microphones. So if you see the guys reaching up to their chest, squeezing and talking, it's a bit like the Secret Service that protects the President of the United States talking into their sleeves. These guys are talking into their jerseys. They're communicating with the rest of their team. Well, the UCI came out with a rule called In-Race Communications Rule 2.2.024. And it reads in part, during the following races, which include world championships, national championships, men elite, women elite, men under 23, junior men and junior women, the use of radio links or other means of remote communications with the riders is not permitted. Now, for a long time, it was widely discussed that the reason that the UCI wanted to ban race radios was because they felt that race radios were removing the competitive rider, the rider's own intelligence and strategy and tactics from the equation out on the road. Instead, taking the tactics out of the rider's brain and putting it into the brain of their director, Sportif. It was widely discussed that the feeling was that by removing race radios, riders would have to then engage their own tactics, that they would have no idea 
about time gaps between themselves and breaks. They would have no idea about who was in a break, who wasn't in a break, who was leading, who was who was being dropped by a break. They were going to lose all of that, and as a result, they were going to have to rely on their own wit. Now, obviously, they would get some information from the race official motos. You know, they always write on their blackboards what the time gaps are. But other than that, they wouldn't get any communication from their teams, and therefore it was assumed it would make for a more exciting race. The riders, however, have been in an uproar. couple of examples. While racing at the Tour of Qatar, Fabian Consolar was quoted as saying, quote, I want to see the impact of the radio ban in the Belgian races when you have a problem and a car jumps in the middle of the bunch. I don't think so because people will be killed, and I don't want to see people killed for this radio thing. He also lashed out at the UCI because he felt that the UCI had made the decision without consulting riders, a frequent criticism over the last few weeks and months. He said, quote, who decided the radio ban? For sure, they are the people who don't understand anything, 100% nothing about what is going on in races. He also said that the UCI might want to re-implement the use of radio after it sells the TV rights. Because, of course, they're, if they're saying the races are going to be more exciting on TV, then hopefully they'll get more TV rights sold and make more money. He said, quote, if it's business, it's easy. You sell the stuff to the TV stations. We don't get the money. The UCI gets the money. Another prominent writer and teammate of Fabian Consolara, Jens Voigt, wrote an open letter to cycling fans in which he said, in part, I am 100% pro the radio for different reasons. The most important argument, in my view, is the security, not only for the riders, but also for the crowds. And he gives a couple of examples. For instance, he says, Last year in an U23 race in France, a spectator ignored all rec regulations and entered the parkour in the opposite direction of the race. What normally happens is this. The race director puts the news out on Radio Course, the official communication channel, between the race organizer, the UCI, and the sports directors. Immediately, all sports directors spread the message amongst their riders over the radio to prevent a potential fatal accident. Now, in that French race... There were no radios, which is the case in all under-23 races. Try to put yourself in the position of any sports director that knows there's a car riding towards the bunch. He's not allowed to drive to his riders and warn them. All he can do is sit and wait, and maybe think about what he can tell the parents of one of his riders if he got hit by the car. Because this is what happened. The car hit a young Dutch rider who was went in a coma for three weeks. Everybody present in that race agreed that the accident could have been prevented if the riders had been wearing radios. Then he says, another example coming from my own experience, and many of you remember this. Two years ago, I crashed badly in the tour riding in a breakaway. While I was lying there bleeding, there was a big fuzz going on. Cars, doctors, press, etc. At least half of the road was blocked. Keep in mind that there were still 150 riders coming down that mountain at 80 kilometers per hour. Luckily, the sports directors were able to warn their riders. Can you imagine that big group of riders flying down the descent, trying to make up time, and come back to the group in front of them, come around that corner unwarned, and see half the road is blocked with cars? Now let me ask you, Aren't these two stories, only these two, not enough to drop the discussion? And this, by the way, is where I think Jens makes 
his most poignant point. If I had a fatal crash, who of you who think the radio ban is a great idea will go to Berlin and explain to my six children that it was the right decision and daddy was just an unlucky victim in the so important battle for more drama in cycling. Well, as a result of all of this controversy, Pat McQuaid, the head of the UCI, met with the teams and with a delegation of the teams at the Association Internationale des Groupes Cyclistes Professionals, or the AIGCP, loosely translated International Association of Professional Cycling Groups, he met with them recently in Switzerland to discuss the matter of the radio ban. McQuaid listened according to the press release from the UCI, to the different arguments put forward by the team representatives and assured them of the UCI's willingness to take on board their concerns, especially when it comes to riders' security. Following that meeting, however, the UCI reiterated their plan to implement the ban on using radio communications during this year's racing season. Following that, Gianni Bugno, the president of the Association of Professional Cyclists, said that new protests against the ban on race radios would begin very soon, perhaps as soon as the end of March. He was quoted as saying, quote, I hope that the UCI rethinks the rule and that there will be more meetings. If not, there will be a protest. We hope the UCI wants to talk so that we can create dialogue. The AIGCP was then uninvited from a meeting of the UCI and the Professional Council of Cycling and as a result issued their own press release protesting the fact that they were invited and then uninvited from this meeting and then issuing the following statement. If the use of radios in all professional cycling events is not permitted by May 1st, All of the teams have signed an accord that simply states that we will not participate in the Tour of Beijing, which is the only event in professional cycling that the UCI not only governs, but also promotes. This way, we avoid actions that could be damaging for any race organizer that does not have any say or vote in the governance or regulation of the sport or any race that is part of cycling's rich history. Our objective in this action is to ensure that the people that actively work in the field of professional cycling also have a vote in its regulation. Fair, logical, and agreed-upon regulations are our goal. We hope the UCI will become our partner in achieving this objective. Firing back his own salvo, Pat McQuaid told VeloNews that he was digging in his heels and he was not going to backpedal on the issue of a race radio ban. And then he took the step of issuing his own open letter to the riders, which was announced today, in which he specifically addresses the concerns and comments of Jens Voigt and others who have commented on the issue of race radios. Specifically, Pat McQuaid mentions that this race radio ban is all about bringing the drama and excitement and the rider's brain back to the world of professional cycling. He even goes as far as saying that this is really all about TV rights, just as Fabian Consolara said at the Tour of Qatar, saying that the reason why those two German television networks pulled out of the Tour de France was not so much about doping, but because... And he implies this, but because the Tour of Tour de France has basically become boring, 
And he basically blames that on the use of race radios. There is no doubt that there is much more to come on the issue of the race radio ban. It seems like it's going to be coming to a head soon with some of these rider protests and certainly with all of the teams issuing an ultimatum to the UCI with this May 1st deadline saying, fine, no race radios, then we will not be at your race in Beijing. Oh, and a postscript here. Speaking of threatening letters, it seems that USA Cycling, the national uh, sanctioning board for events here in the United States, was sent what they termed a, quote, nasty, unquote, letter by the UCI because the USA Cycling is planning on lifting the radio ban in the United States. USA Cycling's Board of Directors President Bill Peterson said in a news release, quote, we have spent considerable time discussing this issue with many experienced racers, team managers, and race organizers. We have yet to find anyone make a convincing case to eliminate race radios. Therefore, we are allowing radios within the races we control, and I suspect many countries around the world will follow our lead. As a result, it looks like the USA Cycling Federation may be subject to upcoming sanctions by the UCI. Now, the year's first NRC event is coming up March 31st. It's the Redlands Bicycle Classic. It's unknown yet whether or not race radios will be allowed. It sure will be interesting if they are to see what the UCI does or does not do to USA Cycling. Moving from races to riders, here's an update in the Alberto Contador case. Alberto Contador was cleared by the Spanish Cycling Federation who said he was free to race, believing the Spanish rider's defense that the reason why he tested positive for clenbuterol was as a result of tainted beef that he ate during the Tour de France that was brought from Spain. As a result of the decision by the Spanish Cycling Federation, Contador was cleared to race and has been in several races since. However, many people were saying that the decision by the Spanish Cycling Federation was not based on science or on evidence, but instead based on jingoism. Contador saying, quote, many people are pointing the finger because I am Spanish, but I have been cleared, and I want to stress it was not a question of patriotism. It was down to legal and scientific issues. Mine is an exemplary case and affords a great chance to change the rules. There are norms which must be reviewed in the short term. Otherwise, injustices will continue to be seen. In Contador's return to cycling this year in 2011, he took fourth in the Tour of the Algarve and won the Vuelta de Murcia in an overall time of 9 hours, 27 minutes, and 18 seconds. After the race, Contador was quoted as saying, quote, I'm immensely happy about this victory. It proves that I have been doing my preparations perfectly. Meanwhile, it seems like Alberto Contador and the Spanish Cycling Federation are not quite through with the UCI and WADA because a showdown between the UCI and WADA and Alberto Contador still looms. The UCI still has some time to appeal the case and bring charges back upon Alberto Contador. Both the UCI and the World Anti-Doping Federation seem 
to indicate that they are not satisfied with the Spanish Cycling Federation's decision, and they have up to two months to request a new review of the case by the CAS, the Court of Arbitration for Sport, in Lausanne, Switzerland. As you may recall, several prominent politicians in Spain, including the Prime Minister José Luis Rodríguez Zapatero, felt that Alberto Contador should be cleared and came to his defense saying that he should be exonerated in the case. However, according to Pat McQuaid, the head of the International Cycling Union, the UCI, he said, quote, it's up to the sport to police itself and sport should be allowed to do that. I don't think the process should be intervened with by politicians when they don't know the full facts of the case and when they make statements that are purely political statements. Continuing, he said, it shows they're unbiased towards supporting their own regardless of what the facts of the case may be. As to whether or not the UCI is going to appeal, McQuaid said, quote, let's wait for the final outcome. It's possible we may not appeal. We have to see the full dossier and get it translated. I would hope and be fairly confident it will all be sorted out before the next Tour de France. Well, even with the backdrop of all of this happening, South African officials have said that they banned cyclist Michael Dean Pepper for three years after he tested positive for clenbuterol. According to Khalid Gallant, the chief executive of the Institute of Drug-Free Sport, cyclist Pepper tested positive for clenbuterol and another substance that artificially boosts testosterone. Gallant says South African officials tested Pepper after he finished 16th in October in a race in Durban. We recently reported here on the Fredcast about the tragic case of Ricardo Rico, who ended himself up in a hospital after trying to infuse himself with his own blood, doing some autologous blood doping all on his own. The 27-year-old who recently returned from a 20-month ban last March after caught after being caught taking drugs at the 2008 Tour de France was then suspended by his Vacan Soleil team and Italy's anti-doping agency has started disciplinary proceedings against him. He has left the hospital. He was in the hospital after 12 days of treatment for that blood transfusion gone wrong. He was then suspended and then subsequently fired by the Vacon Soleil team. World Anti-Doping Agency President John Fahey described the case as, quote, tragic, saying, quote, I'm very disappointed. It's tragic that someone can put himself in danger. It's dreadful to see an athlete recommit. Following all of this, however, Ricardo Rico, after having been fired by his team, after having spent 12 days in the hospital, has now ruled out a comeback as a professional cyclist and has announced that he will leave professional cycling. He told the Italian sports daily Gazzetta dello Sport, quote, it's not doping. I have not tested positive but I have always already been judged. I don't want to ride anymore. The world of cycling makes me puke. I do not miss cycling. I'm going to become a bartender. I've always liked it. You can't deny that this is a sad case of someone with great potential who ruined his career and ruined his life. And hopefully 
It will serve as a tragic lesson to other cyclists who, and other athletes in general who are considering going down the road of doping. They will understand the pitfalls, the dangers, and hopefully not go down that road. Speaking of doping, we've talked time and time again here on the Fredcast about the Operacion Puerto affair in Spain, the doping scandal that rocked the professional cycling world and professional sport in Spain. At the center of that controversy has always been Dr. Eufemiano Fuentes. A prosecutor in Spain has now brought the first formal charges against Eufemiano Fuentes. Judicial official Jose Manuel Garcia told the Associated Press that it was now up to a judge to decide whether or not to order a trial. However, Garcia said that he expected the doctor and other suspects, including former cycling team owner Manolo Saiz, to stand trial in the case. In December, Fuentes was also implicated, you may recall, in the new Operation Galgo investigation into doping in Spanish track and field. Now, at the time of the Operation Puerto affair, Spain did not have official anti-doping laws. Therefore, to be charged in this case, prosecutors had to find an interesting way of doing so, therefore charging Fuentes and others that they violated the law by endangering the health of the athletes. We will, of course, keep track of this case because, quite frankly, like some of the other people we've talked about on the show today, I'm hoping Fuentes gets the book thrown at him. And finally tonight, several associations in the world of professional cycling met this week in advance of Milan San Remo, and in doing so, announced that they are going to endorse a move that will increase the bans against those convicted of doping in professional cycling. As you know, many first-time offenders end up getting two-year bans for doping in sport, but now the Association of Professional Cyclists and the Professional Cycling Council endorsed by the UCI are recommending that first-time offenders get four-year bans as a matter of course. In addition, the associations proposed setting a three-month window for handling doping cases and then deciding on suspensions. Think, for instance, of how long the Alberto Contador case dragged on and is continuing to drag on. With an eye toward the Alberto Contador case, there is also a proposal to revise doping rules when there is evidence that a cyclist didn't voluntarily use a substance particularly in cases involving contamination. And finally, the council is proposing penalties and sanctions for teams who have riders who were then found convicted of doping. A great idea, something we've talked about on the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast and something that I hope will come to pass. It's interesting. I was having a discussion earlier this week with someone in business who really doesn't understand professional cycling. His question to me was, when will cycling ever take this doping problem seriously and clean up its act? And that sort of hit me like a ton of bricks because to my way of thinking, and I'm sure to yours, the world of professional cycling has done far more than many, perhaps most other sports in doing exactly that, cleaning up its act and taking doping seriously. There's no doubt that there are likely still dopers in the world of professional cycling. But the number of dopers 
or the ratio of dopers to non-dopers absolutely is far, far better today than it was even five, perhaps 10 years ago. So I have to applaud the world of professional cycling for the, the strides that it's taken in removing the scourge of doping from the sport that we all love so much. And with that, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Fredcast Cycling Podcast. I want to thank our sponsors, Jensen USA. Go to jensenusa.com slash the Fredcast or just go to the Fredcast.com and click the Jensen USA link. Don't forget the amazing deals that they have on Reynolds Wheels. Racing season is coming. Get your new set of wheels today at an amazing discount. And get the great and unparalleled customer service of Jensen USA. Also, our friends over at Epic Planet, who remind you of their newest DVD release, Epic Wine Country. And from now through the end of April, use the coupon code WINE at checkout to get that great Fredcast only discount. Plus, thank you for your donations to the Fredcast. Go to thefredcast.com and click the donate link. Every little bit helps. It goes towards hosting and all of the other things that go into putting the Fredcast together, and we really appreciate your support. Between shows, don't forget that you can keep in contact with everything that's going on at the Fredcast following our Twitter feed at twitter.com slash Fredcast or our Facebook feed. Just click on the Facebook link on the Fredcast.com website. Speaking of which, Our website is www.thefredcast.com. Our email address, thefredcast at gmail.com. And for audio comments, simply dial area code 661-513-FRED. That's 661-513-3733. And now it's time for Podsafe Cycling Music. This week's Podsafe Cycling Music was chosen specifically for the Fredcast by The Cadence Revolution, your weekly podcast of Podsafe music that's perfect for your indoor cycling, available at www.cadencerevolution.com. Now, tonight's song was one that I requested that Cadence Revolution send to us because I heard it while I was doing my indoor cycling. It was one of Cadence Revolution's mixes to accompany an Epic Rides DVD. I loved the song. I asked them to send it. I hope that you'll enjoy it as well. The song is called Feels Like the End by Shane Alexander, and this is the end of this week's episode of the Fredcast. I'll be back next week, next week, with another episode of the Fredcast Cycling Podcast, but between this show and the next. I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank you for staying subscribed And I want to thank you for telling your friends about the Fredcast Cycling Podcast. Enjoy the music, but most of all, enjoy the ride.